Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire, and filling in for Joe is... Apollo of the Pappas clan. There we go. It's not my name, player. There we but... go. <laughs> Still going with the one name. Still going with the Beyonce. It's like treatment. Prince. It's like Prince, just more, more Greek. <laughs> well, we got a lot to talk about today. We have another Department of Health whistleblower, another one from Hawaii joining us today, Jennifer Smith. Um... So why don't, why don't we bring her on and let her tell her story, and we'll get into the questions. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Uh-oh. Hey, Jennifer? <laughs> Uh-oh. Mr. Producer? <laughs> Almost there. Well, he, there we go. There we go. Aha. There we go. There we go. <laughs> long, long delay. The buildup was tense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Aloha, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on today. I appreciate um, you giving me the opportunity to share my story and um, talk a little bit about what's going on here in the great communist state of Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a, a trend that we're seeing all over the country. Um, but I know that you've had it uh, in your own particular way there. Um, but before, uh, so I want to I want to get into that. Before we do, I think it's really important that people understand who you are and because uh, I know you have a lot of expertise, um, which brings a lot of value to uh, to the time that we're going to spend with you right now. So if you could give us a little bit of a background on who you are um, and kind of what what led you to the point that you're at now. Sure. Um, so I have a PhD in microbiology and molecular cell sciences. Um, my subject matter expertise is in respiratory viruses. So a majority of my career was spent researching influenza viruses and other respiratory viruses. I've worked in vaccine development and preclinical testing. Um, I've worked on a government contract to test candidate vaccines against hemorrhagic fever viruses. And um, I joined the Department of Health here in Hawaii in 2016 as an epidemiologist. So I worked in the Disease Outbreak Control Division, which is the, the division where we investigate outbreaks of communicable diseases. So I was on the front lines basically when the um, outbreak started in China and uh, started here in Hawaii by monitoring travelers coming through Hawaii from China and other areas where the virus was spreading. Um, our first case was detected in March of 2020. And from there, uh, did over 700 case investigations, including contact tracing. And so I know you were with the, uh, so I'll say with the Department of Health, I'll let you uh, explain a little bit more about that, but the contact tracing, um, was, this was you know what, what you were mainly in charge of, correct? At the time, yes, so I was in disease investigation. So contact tracing is a task under the umbrella of the case investigation. And that's the con that's for anyone who somehow was living under a rock for the last two years. That's <laughs> identifying people who are sick, who they may have come into contact with during the the period in time the like past the incubation period they could have spread it to, and then trying to isolate those people. Correct. Correct. Yes, so we would investigate, find out who had, they may have had close contact with 
interview them, and then um, institute isolation under quarantine measures. So that was very early because they gave up on contact tracing relatively early into this Hawaii, as soon as it started being crazy, at least on yeah, the mainland they did. Yeah, no, Hawaii, um, Hawaii kept it up um, as long as possible. And um, so that's part of my main story is when we started, contact tracing was a big deal here. Um, we had a state epidemiologist and director of Department of Health who was continuing to lie to the public, to the state senators, to the media, telling them that we had enough staffing to continue contact tracing. Um, it wasn't really until June, July. So we had a lockdown here, um, I believe started at the end of March. And we started to open up and relax restrictions in June of 2020. And during that time was when we really should have ramped up and put infrastructure in place to handle a surge in cases. So that's what lockdowns were supposed to be for, was to set up and get staffing ready. Um, because we know um, it's just simple arrogance of humans to think that you can control a submicroscopic particle that's spread by air. So um, we knew once we relaxed restrictions, there would be more cases. So the state epidemiologists and the director kept going in front of the, the Senate committees and the media telling them, oh, we have plenty of staff. Every day was like a different number. So we have 77 people. We have 105 people. We have 68 people. We have 90 something people. In reality, there were 10 of us. So 10 of us for the whole um, island of Oahu, which is the most populated island here in Hawaii, um, there were 10 of us and we were working basically seven days a week, 10 hours a day, starting um, in February when we started monitoring travelers. So um, things quickly got out of hand when we had a surge in cases and it, we, we just got buried. We were just buried and we had no support at all. So now ten. I know that. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Max. Go, you know, go ahead. I'm j I just can't get over ten, for and that's for the entire state yeah. or just for Oahu. Ten for Oahu and fifteen for the entire state. Um, so outer <laughs> islands, yeah. So outer islands, we had one on Kauai, um, two in Maui, and one on the Big Island um, of Hawaii. So we had fifteen total. Um, outer islands had some support from like public health nursing. We had some support from public health nursing as well. But um, for case investigation, it was really just 10. So it got to a point where when we started having hundreds of cases reported a day. So you imagine, um, and I don't know how it is for other states in the country, but here in Hawaii, we have a lot of what we call multi-generational homes because of the high cost of living. We have a lot of families that have grandparents, parents, children, grandchildren, all living in the same house. We have some houses or some apartments, small two bedroom apartments that can house from anywhere from eight to 12 people. I had a, I had a case that had 22 people in one house. So when you have a case that has 22 people as contacts, yeah. I mean, that's literally days just calling and interviewing those people. Yeah. And then the problem is we're the people who have to input all the data into the database. And that data is what's being used to inform public health policy. So you can imagine if I'm on the phone, literally 50, 60 phone calls a day, nonstop, there's no way I'm also inputting data. So the data is lagging and our officials are making public health decisions with data that's that's just flawed. It's fundamentally flawed and it's compromised. 
So you cannot make effective public health policies if you don't have the the data is supposed to be in real time. So we just didn't have enough people. The data was lagged so far behind um, what was actually happening out in the general populace. populace. So um, it, it just got so overwhelming that at some point they said, okay, we're only gonna look at people who are 65 and older and 18 and younger. So the problem with that is you imagine 65 and older, they're, they're retired, they're not working they're in care facilities, they're in hospitals, there's no way to contact them. 18 and younger, they're minors, we can't call them. And a lot of times we don't have phone numbers, we don't have the parents' names. So it really was very chaotic and it was, it was, it was impossible. And I, my, my description was like, I was given a squirt gun and there's fires all around me and I was given a squirt gun and told them to put out, told to put out all these fires and I had no water. So it just it just got really frustrating hearing the lies of our leadership because they kept saying, oh, we got this. We got this. We have to let the general public know that we got this. Um, public perception was really important to the state epidemiologist. And I just I just I just lost it. I was like, I cannot listen to the lies anymore. I cannot listen to her continue to lie and tell people we have this when we don't. We're drowning. We were drowning in cases and we needed help and we kept screaming for help and our leadership were was ignoring us well so and you have i mean obviously already you have a massive issue there uh especially given the validity the validity of the data which at the time the governor and the department of health there they were blasting all over uh justifying cases but then we have other issues that i know again given your background you can speak really well to so let's just go right into the the testing um this yes. is one of the things that they continue to, to use, and they still use, um, at this point, I, I mean, you go on the CDC's website, uh, the main CDC's website, they don't even have a, uh, a list where it, which identifies specifically people dying of COVID. Now it's all about cases, and then they mix in all the other data. But I just want, uh, if you could give the listeners from your, uh, you know, from your expert background, what exactly is going on with the PCR tests? What was going on? Uh, you know, what, what are the problems with that technology and how are they, how are they pushing it? Yes. So everything hinges on the tests, right? Every single thing that happened afterwards, lockdowns, deaths, case counts, every single policy hinged on the test. So in March, end of February, the CDC rolled out their PCR test kits were sent out to every clinical laboratory or state clinical laboratories. And, um, I knew from the start, I, I was just flabbergasted when I found out how these tests were um, being used and what the parameters were. I knew right away there was a problem. So I have done PCR since the early 90s. I have designed, performed, developed. I mean, I could literally do PCR with my one arm tying behind my back. And my master's project was designing a quantitative um, competitive real-time PCR, which is the test that's being used. So I'm very, um, I'm very knowledgeable about PCR and the parameters that are necessary to make an effective PCR test. So one of the things that people need to know, it's mostly PCR is it's just a plus or minus, right? It's going to tell you something is there or not. But the way they design this test is called quantitative or real-time PCR. So what that tells us, it tells us an actual amount of something. 
So it's not just, is it there, but possibly how much was in the starting material. So based on, so every, so PCR, it's polymerase chain reaction. So every reaction is a, every cycle is a reaction. So you, you grow your specimen exponentially with every cycle. So it doubles every time. So one to two to Mm -hmm. four and so on. So you can get an idea from the end number, how much may have been in the possible specimen at the start. So the problem is they're running the cycles. Um, A lot of these tests run to 45 cycles. And right away I knew, I was like, they're basically gonna find everybody positive because when we design PCR, we know that anything over, it's usually 20 to 30 cycles. Okay, so anything over 30, is is irrelevant it's it's going to be non-consequential it's going to be primer dimers non-specific interaction environmental contaminants it's literally yeah. i mean if you run it or other enough, or other viruses or other viruses you start running enough be, pcr cycles right. you start maybe seeing a, a fragment of a common cold virus that might get misidentified if you, if you keep doing it so what happens is they use these short short segments of DNA, we call them primers. And primers, they're very promiscuous, right? They wanna bind to something. They're like searching, searching in your sample. They wanna bind to something. That's their whole like, I need to attach to something. So yeah, the longer you run it, they're just gonna stick to anything. They're gonna stick to each other even, and that's gonna light up and make a signal. So I knew right away, I started questioning from March of 2020, I was like, something's very wrong here especially when you started testing people who had no symptoms. And I would ask people, now I've done, I've done a lot of studies with bioaerosols. So I used to aerosolize flu viruses in animals. We did different particle sizes, different lengths of time. Where does the virus land inside the lungs, inside the animal? So I know how aerosols work. I know about all the parameters that are necessary to transmit, you know, temperature, humidity, all of this. And I would ask, if someone doesn't have respiratory symptoms, how are you transmitting a respiratory virus? It literally is scientifically irrelevant to test people, it's clinically irrelevant to test people who have no respiratory symptoms. And at the rate they were testing the cycle numbers, that just drove the whole myth of asymptomatic spread. Well, so well, I had a lot of- Sorry, go ahead. It's a lot better than it's a lot better for them to say that there's a fault that there's a asymptomatic than for them to admit how just how many false positives they have. Right. So from a public <laughs> health on their end. <laughs> right. From a public health perspective, I could see having more false positives as being more beneficial under a pandemic situation than having false negatives. However, we I kept pushing and saying that we should be using these CT values, which is the the, the number of cycles where somebody tests positive to inform our decisions about um, isolation and quarantine. So I had cases where people were like, oh, the worried well is what we call them. Oh, I'm just curious. I was sick two months ago, went to get tested, or I had a headache, went to get tested. I mean, literally uh, people flew here from the other side of the world. I was tired, went to do Really, you're going to be tired. You just were on a plane for 12 hours. So, <laughs> so it, it really made sense. Yeah. So then we're isolating and quarantining people unnecessarily. And I was like, why are people not like, why are people not questioning this? Like, 
there's this completely unnecessary for them to be in quarantine and to isolate family members when they're literally not contagious or infectious. And I kept telling yeah. the, the state epidemiologists, we should be using these numbers to inform our decisions because this is, like I said, it's impacting public policy. We shut down our state economy for this. You know, we had the, high, the lowest unemployment rate in Hawaii before the pandemic. And then we went to the highest unemployment rate in just a month or two. I mean, we literally had 40% of our workforce out of work. Wow. And Can so, I ask you a yeah. question about the oh, PCR test? And, and I'm sorry, sure. I just want, before we get off of it, Greg. Um, no, it's fine. I, I, I remember seeing, it was a couple weeks ago, that there was a major admission from the CDC that the companies that developed the PCR tests didn't develop them using the actual COVID-19 virus to model it after, that many of these actually use the common cold virus to model whether or not something should be positive or not. And I asked another doctor to explain it to me in layman's terms. And the way he described it is if you have a bloodhound and you're in the woods trying to capture an escaped convict, you're gonna give them a piece of that convict's clothing so they can get the scent, so he can then go find where that convict is. And if you give them the wrong person's clothing, they're never gonna find, or they're gonna find someone else, right? Explain that to me. Is, is that an accurate description? Because I, I thought it made sense. What's going yeah, on with the so PCR test being programmed to look for the common cold originally? So that's a great analogy. So um, every so when the PCR test first rolled out, they used three targets. So every test had three targets. So when I talk about primers, they used three different sets of primers. Now, in a lot of cases, there, so two of them, so the way you do this test, two of them were virus specific. So two of the sets were for coronavirus. One set is what we call an internal control. So usually you use like a housekeeping gene, some, some cellular gene that's normally there. It tells you, yes, your sample is human, it's from a human, and yes, um, there's RNA there. So that's just a control one. So the other two usually should be for the specific um thing that you're looking for right so like you said the person's shirt the person that you're looking for use their shirt yeah. now a lot of these test kits they used one set of primers that was from a what we call the pan coronavirus so any coronavirus so like what you're saying is yes so one yeah. set of these and this is where this is where i started to get into the the thick of it because as our cases went down i started collecting CT values for all our positive cases. So I started calling clinical laboratories. I started getting, I was like the point of contact because um, I understood the testing and I would get CT values for all our positive cases. I actually, in a lot of cases, had to explain to some of the clinical laboratorians how PCR worked because a lot of them didn't even understand what I was asking for. They just you know, they just put the cartridge in the machine and hit go and they don't even understand what they're doing. Um, so I started so collecting. To, I don't I don't want to get you off topic, but that's important because they're being instructed to run these tests at a certain yes. a certain number of cycles. And they don't understand that they're yes. being directed to do something that's going to completely destroy the legitimacy of the data. Right. And then they get that spit. The machine just spits out a plus or minus and they just go with it. They don't question it. And so there were a lot of times like our 
our military hospital here, Tripler Army Medical Center, I remember calling the director there and telling him one point that their the calibration of their machine was off. I knew without even, I wasn't even in the laboratory. <laughs> and I already knew that the calibration of their machine was off based on the results that were being spit out. And they literally stopped talking to me after that. Um, <laughs> and this is while you were still working for the for the yes. Department of Health. Yes. So in May of 2020, we had a lull in cases. So I started doing this. I started doing some more investigating and getting these, these values for all the positive tests. And I found some very interesting things. So as I told you, we have three targets, right? So there was a, at one point, because we have very limited laboratories here in Hawaii, they were sending out the specimens to mainland labs, their partner labs. And I remember contacting a lab in Texas now they started sending me results back and I was, I was floored because a lot of the tests that they were sending me, the, the numbers were not detected. So two of the three targets were not detected, but they were still calling these people positive. So I immediately questioned that. And I said, you either need to rerun those samples or send them back to us to rerun because those are clearly not positives at all. And as an example, when you match the epidemiology or the data from the investigation, it clearly showed that these people did not have COVID and they were not infectious or contagious. So one person I, one person was mine and this guy, he basically started smoking and he developed a cough. So he ran out to get tested. <laughs> well, two, two of the three targets was not detected and the only target detected was the control target. And I was like, wow. this cannot be called a positive. And I had to really convince the state epidemiologists on this point. So at one point they did subtract out like five cases, but then they later just added them back on. They're like, so, well, it says positive. It's positive. We're just counting them. So, so uh, one I, I, oh, I'm sorry. This, sorry. Keep going. I'll let you I came across now. this multiple times and I thought this test kit, it was a one test kit that they were using specifically that kept spitting out these erroneous um, results. And again, when I called out this, I tried to talk to the director of the laboratory to get more information. They stopped talking to me. They wouldn't provide me with any more information. Now you have to understand this laboratory in Texas was testing samples for the entire country. So if you can imagine that I had how many here in Hawaii that were like that, how many in Texas, how many in the rest of the country were literally negatives that they were calling positive based on one, one probe showing positive. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, so I have a, I actually have a couple of follow-up questions because um, I know, so we spent a lot of time talking on the phone and there's so much that I want to get through. Uh, before I do that, I do, I do have to remind everyone that this uh, podcast is sponsored by Air Medcare Network. Uh, if you live in a rural area, uh, if you like to do crazy stuff like I do in the time that I don't have anymore, uh, you know, snowboarding, and maybe if you just... Uh, you want to be protected for those really, really unforeseen moments that could destroy the financial situation of your family. If you ever do need air medical transport for as little as $85 a year, your entire household will be covered. Um, air, air Medicare Network, uh, they handle a large, large number of, uh, of medical transport flights every year. Um, and if you go to airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily, uh, you will also get 
uh, up to a $50 e-gift card back. They have an, an option for Amazon. Please don't, don't use it because we do not like to fund the enemy. Uh, but this is a really, really valuable uh, service. I have actually two people that I know personally who uh, did end up needing something like this. And had they not, uh, what well, they did not have an Air Medicare network, and it resulted in them having uh, massive, massive medical bills. Uh, one of, a friend of mine actually flipped off his bike, uh, fractured his skull, and ended up bleeding into his brain, and got Air Med, uh, flew to a you know massive trauma hospital and had brain surgery, um, and it was hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, all all included. So don't let that happen to you, you or your family. Uh, go to airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily uh, to get that deal uh, for listeners of the show. Um, so, Jennifer, I know you mentioned a few things about some of the, the results and, you know, individuals who shouldn't have tested positive. I, you mentioned one really heartbreaking story that really bothered me, and it was about an infant, uh, if I recall. Um, and can so can you if I, I don't I didn't ask you uh, before we started. Do you feel comfortable talking about that case? Yep. So um, this is actually one of the things that got me in trouble and um, may have eventually led to my discharge from my position. So again, you know, I kept questioning all this CT values and the positive testing, and so in Hawaii, you know, we talk about the children not being affected. We have to date, I am aware, as I'm aware of, there have been zero deaths among children zero to 17 years here in Hawaii. So no children have died from this illness here in the state of Hawaii. So in, I believe it was January of last year, we had uh, an infant that was reported in the media as having died of COVID. So I went to work that day and I remember looking up the case and again, this, this infant came from another state. So if, if, an, if somebody comes from another state, test positive, they get reported at that state. So they weren't reported as a case of Hawaii, but they reported it in our news media here that this infant had died of COVID. And I was very skeptical. So this infant had serious underlying medical conditions. The family came to Hawaii to have vacation with baby because the baby was not gonna survive this underlying medical conditions. Now, um, I looked up the CT values for the supposed positive tests. So the baby apparently went to the hospital. Of course, they swabbed everyone's nose. If you show up at a hospital, they were show they were testing anyone, pre-admission, pre-op, anyone who showed up at a clinic. So they swabbed this poor little baby's nose and the CT values were 38.5. Now, again, anything over 30 is irrelevant. So the cutoff for positive is 40. So at 38.5, that tells me this is not a positive. And so I, I put a post on LinkedIn. And, does, and, and is that linear? Is that, is that a linear line? Like is 38, like, is, is that significantly higher? Like, like if you look at decibels, like 10 decibels isn't linear. It actually ends up being, I think logarithmic. So it ends up being much more it's significant. Jump. Right. Okay. Yeah, it doubles, yeah. it doubles with every cycle. Yeah, log base two at 38, 32 to the 38, basically. <laughs> um, so, it took so that, 38 that long to find something. Yeah. <laughs> so 38 isn't just like eight more than 30. It's it's significantly bigger than, than no. 30. No, yeah. So 
So they, there have been a lot of studies now that have come out showing that um, anything over 30, they have not been able to culture live virus. They've shown that they can't sequence the whole, so they do whole genome sequencing. They can't do sequencing of anything with a CT value usually over 27 or 28, which tells me there's not a whole virus there. Um, there's just maybe fragments or bits of something they're picking up. Um, so it's been well documented now. There's a lot of studies now that have shown that. And that's where the CDC came out and said anything over 28, we're not sequencing because they already know that it's not, there's nothing there. <laughs> so I put it on LinkedIn and I, I basically said um, COVID deaths are stoking the fire of fear because they reported this baby had died. A baby died of COVID, you know, it gets everyone worked up when something happens yeah, yeah. to a child. And here's the thing is they said that the parents had been vaccinated. And I said, shouldn't the narrative at this point be that the parents are vaccinated, the baby had underlying medical conditions, and the parents' vaccination protected the baby from getting COVID. Instead, they reported this as a COVID death. And um, I put this on LinkedIn, and I said that public health professionals need to stop pandering to the public and, or to the media and to politicians, and the politics need to stop. And um, I didn't share any information that was not in the news story. I shared the link to the news story, um, all the information that was in the news story. I didn't give name, age, where the residency was, you but know, none of that. You gave away medical information. Yes. But it wasn't until May of 2021 that I got a phone call one day. So I was teleworking. So basically um, what happened was in August of 2020, I had a press conference with Tulsi Gabbard on the lawn of the federal building to call it the lies of our leadership at Department of Health. So the state epidemiologists and the director, they were asking for them to be fired. And I came forward and I, and I shared the information about their lies, about the number of staffing that we had and the contact tracing program. And um, less than about three weeks later, they put me on paid admin leave. So um, the state epidemiologist was put on paid leave on September 3rd and on September 4th, they put me on paid admin leave. So I was out of work until the end of October. Um, they brought me back to work and um, put me on telework, basically sat me at home doing nothing. So, so you blew the whistle. Here I am. The head epidemiologist got let go as a result of you blowing the whistle. And then they also went after you and the director of the, the Department of Health. Um, he, he retired, so technically he no. he retired, but yes, but I, I believe that they had a conversation <laughs> and said, either you voluntarily leave or we will make, because that's an appointed position, so they could just remove him. Um, so yeah, so they basically, here I am a subject matter expert. I know all about the testing, the science, I've worked with these viruses and animal models and laboratory and research um and they've basically sat me in a corner um and ignored me well so and now uh, uh and so, so i i do want to um because I, I want while we still have you um i, I want to transition a little bit so i'm gonna i'm gonna just speak to what i see uh based on what you've said what we've seen so many other times we've seen in the media we've seen in you know i mean now they have the the darpa report that came out there, there's so many things uh, admissions by the CDC, by Fauci, they're liars. This was all a lie. Uh, and they, 
you know, someone like you, it doesn't matter that you're a subject matter expert. It doesn't matter that you were clearly calling out obvious facts about the technology, about the illegitimacy of the data that they were using, about the narrative uh, that, they, that they've been pushing and why. Um, it was all a lie. The testing was a lie. They silenced people like you who are brave enough and have integrity enough to, to actually speak out. Um, but now I want to transition to what's going on now. So they've done this now for two years. Like you said, our economy has been destroyed. Our children have been, and actually, uh, Mr. Producer, I just want to, uh, uh, if you could real quick get ready, um, B, I believe it's cut uh, three, um, brainwashing our children, if you could get that ready in a minute. Um, they have, go ahead and play this real quick before I, before I ask you this next question. This is, this is wild. Um, this is all over, the, uh, all over the internet on TikTok. Go ahead and play it. This is the I know kind that. of stuff. That's the daddy finger people. Daddy finger, daddy finger. Ah, uh, that's um, that, no, that but kind it's, of, it's enraging in my house all the time. No, but it's it's <laughs> it's mind numbing that this was all for a lie. They've rolled back now the milestones, the developmental milestones for children, uh, and now that they've been pushing this vaccine on all of these people. I know on your uh, on your social media, which is uh, ethical. Uh, science, I'm sorry, Ethical Science Council. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, please check them out there. You can find their, uh, their website in the description uh, and links to all their social media channels. Please do check them out. And uh, before I ask you this next question, can you tell us a little bit um, while we're on the topic, who exactly is behind that organization? I know it's you and a lot of other medical professionals. Can you give us briefly? Uh, it's, it's, it's fine. It's <laughs> all <laughs> so good. Sorry, my No, no problem, no problem. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> okay, so sorry. Oh, yeah, no, you're so, fine. Um, we started, so, you know, here's the thing. I know you guys know about Robert Malone and some of the other big names that have been um, censored and kicked off of, restricted off of LinkedIn and other social media platforms. So um, it was only a matter of time before um, people like me were also being silenced. So people used to ask me like, why are scientists not speaking out? Why are not more people saying that? So we were trying, we've been censored, we've been silenced, we've been sidelined, we've been fired, like we're trying. So we finally came together um, on alternate social media platforms and we're like, you know, I, I finally was like, you know, it's great to be posting on social media, but we need to take action. You know, us complaining to each other and we're all on the same page and we all understand the science. We need to take action. We need to start doing something to educate the public and bring true science based information to people that they can use to make informed decisions for themselves. So um, we have toxicologists, we have virologists, molecular biologists, immunologists. Um, we have some people who work in uh, vaccine companies. You know, like I said, my background is virology and vaccine development and testing. So um, we have uh, medical doctors also who contribute. So what we try to do is we take information, we make sure we source it all, it's all referenced, it's all, um, 
you know, backed by peer reviewed scientific publications. And then at least we have a three person review process before we post anything to our social media so that we, we know that what we're sharing is true and accurate. So, um, We've also already been kicked off of LinkedIn. Our group has been uh, restricted on LinkedIn. We, I've been put in Facebook jail <laughs> already for sharing. <laughs> Good company. Um, for sharing science, true science-based evidence. And, you know, part of, uh, if you look at one of our most recent posts, it's really interesting. We took a CDC poster that said why you need to get a booster. And we basically provided the information on why you don't need to get a booster. And uh, one of the discussions we had was like, what evidence and what data is CDC using to base all the, their statements on? Why do they not have to provide data and science-based publications when they're making these broad sweeping statements about any of these things? Um, why are people not questioning that? Uh, and, and there's actually a quote on that post that says that basically the data is not ready for prime time. So just How go ahead and get How many times have we heard that? How many times have we heard that? Exactly. Same excuse so, like, they gave. Same excuse the CDC gave for not for not telling us about the children data, for not telling us about middle age data, thirty year old, four year old data. All the data is always left out because it's not ready for prime time. It seems like right, these these officials are the ones who aren't ready for prime time. If we're being honest. Correct. Well, you know, let me just say, and this, let me just take a moment here because I've gotten in trouble for <clears throat> bashing our friend Mr. Fochi. Um, at the NIAID, but this is what I said. He's Ain't not no a scientist. He's not a scientist. He's a he's a bureaucrat. He's been an administrator since 1984. I find that very coincidental that he was appointed in 1984. Just FYI, but um, <laughs> he was appointed in 1984. He when's the last time he treated a patient? Does he still have a valid medical license? Has he ever worked with a coronavirus? Has he ever been in the lab, done PCR, designed PCR, to develop PCR? Like what is what yeah. gives him the expertise and the experience to be able to say anything about a respiratory virus or coronavirus? And I got yeah, in big trouble. Last, when was the last time? When was the last time he went to a conference as an attendee? to learn stuff, not as a keynote, right? What other yeah. continuing studies has he done? Nothing. He's done nothing. No. And we see he's him, he's running around like, yeah. And he's Dr. Frankenstein, especially now with he's all the, all the things that we're finding out with all the grants and everything. Um, so now yes. let's just dive right into it. They've been forcing this vaccine down everyone's throats. I know you've shared some VAERS data. I actually downloaded, um, and I have in a PDF, the VAERS data for 2022 so far. Um, so if you can get that ready, uh, I'll have you bring up. I'm, I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, well, actually, if you have it ready, go ahead and put it up on screen. Um, so this is the VAERS data, uh, and we can, we can talk about that in a minute. Can you put it up on screen, Mr. Producer? Okay, while he's on. getting that ready. Yeah, so while, while he's, he's getting that okay, ready. Okay, go ahead, Max. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and read an ad from our sponsor, Crowd Health. Crowd Health is so much more than health insurance. It's a way for you to crowdsource essentially um, your medical expenses. So er last year, over 250,000 people went bankrupt and they had health insurance. They went bankrupt with health insurance because of skyrocketing med medical costs. And those expenses are only going up. 
don't let this bankrupt you. I mean, th this is a running theme on our sponsors, ways for you to protect your family's health without risking bankrupts. Here's how Crowd Health works. It puts the community back in community health care by giving its members access to high quality care for up to 60% less than they would get if they were just using insurance. You pay one lo low monthly total to fund your account, and then you get access to the Crowd Health community. It tends to be less than $200 per person. 100% of your monthly contribution directly funds and reduces the healthcare costs of the community. You'll end up paying $500 when you have a health event, but the rest gets submitted to the crowd health community members for funding. And unlike insurance, you don't have to worry about whether your doctor or hospital is in network. Don't let healthcare costs stand between you and your future. Join Crowd Health today. Right now, for listeners of this program, you can get your first six months for just $99 a month. That's almost 50% off the normal price and a lot less than high deductible healthcare plans. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com and use promo code FREEDOM at sign up. Again, that's joincrowdhealth.com and use promo code FREEDOM to get that amazing discount. Full disclosure, Crowd Health is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare terms and conditions may apply. Do we have that VAERS data ready now, Mr. Producer? So we'll, we'll give him, uh, just let us know when you have that ready to put up on screen. Um, but I, I as he gets it ready, can, yeah. I, can I ask a, a quick yeah. question before we get too far away? You're the first epidemiologist I believe we've had on our show. So I have a question that has been on my mind for over a year. If we can put up my screen, Mr. Producer, in Tanzania, the president of Tanzania made global news last year when he announced that he had he had put the test that he got through the ringer and found that goat samples, pawpaw, which is a fruit. I had to look that up. <laughs> yeah, jackfruit. I think they also submitted motor oil. They basically just found whatever was in the room at the time. Not sure why the goat was in the room, but they found whatever was in the room at the yeah, time Tanzania, and decided huh? to get a sample of it. And it was all coming back positive. So as an epidemiologist, how can a goat sample or pawpaw or jackfruit or motor oil come back positive this has been this has been perplexing me i mean again it goes back to what i said about the pcr and the testing i mean they're just running these tests at such high cycle level values and the other thing like i said it's supposed to be all three primer sets are supposed to test positive for them to call it a positive but if the control is testing positive or showing is detected then they're calling it positive i mean it's just it's just nonsensical. I mean, since then we've shown what oranges, Coca-Cola. I know there was a story with nurses were just sending in blank swabs and they were yeah. testing positive. <laughs> I yeah. mean, unbelievable. You know, when they started rolling out like antigen testing, I started laughing as well because I told people, I was like, well, you might as well just flip, save some money and flip a coin. Cause yeah. they're like 50%. Yeah. Like, they weren't validated using they weren't validated using common human cold viruses. So any time it tests positive doesn't mean it's SARS, you know. So positive false. That's with why PCR they come negative. with two. That's yeah. why they come with two. Because if it's false, <laughs> negative, false, false negative or false PCR. positive, do it again, and then they say if you if you're symptomatic but you're still negative for both, go get a PCR test. So yeah. they're actually, it's a complete joke because you can get false positives for both of them and then you get the PCR test, which who knows what that's gonna find. It's, it's it a, a big money grab. I mean, it was basically a big money grab. So I have colleagues at NIH, at BARDA. So BARDA is the bio, it's basically the bio preparedness agency for the country. Now I have a colleague there and she was telling me that you know, when the testing started rolling out, they had all these companies, she's like little, little mom and pop companies she'd never heard of before were applying for some of this money to have a test kit come out. She was like, 
she she said it was just a big money grab. All these companies had never been involved in virus testing before ever suddenly showed up on their doorstep wanting with their hand out wanting money. So yeah. a lot, I mean, it was just a big money grab for all the testing. So we do have that up on my screen, the VAERS. Yeah, go ahead um, and put that up, PDF. Mr. Producer. And so I don't want to go through all of this because there's a lot, but, and this is, this is, you know, going to my next question for you. You have extensive background and understanding of vaccine development, of virology. Uh, so I'm just going to go through, you know, first few of these. Uh, received Pfizer vaccine, sick 2421 and 715, presented the ER 127. Multiple medical issues, but uh, fell at a nursing home, dizzy, weak, morbidly obese. I mean, you know, that alone, you don't know, given the age. Chronic leg wounds. What's a chronic leg wound? Oh, it, it might be bed sores. It could, yeah, it could be diabetic. diabetic. Okay. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah. next one. Presented on 1-6. Abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting. Uh, 1-7, noted to be co uh, COVID positive. Uh, on evening, 1-14, found unresponsive. Cold blue without response. Next one, 57. Uh, sorry, that's moving a little fast. Um, and I just want to pick out a few of these because if you look through this data, and I have a video that after, um, you know, after we, we let you, I want to keep the time with Jennifer. There's a, a quick video where you can actually go and find this. Some of these, you know, it's, it's hard because there's a lot of, uh, there could be uh, other issues. They, they might have medical issues. They might be, elderly individuals, but a lot of these uh, cases, this is just from uh, 2022. So this is January and February. If you could just scroll down, Max, um, just to see how many are in here. If you look through these, there are a massive number of them where someone gets the vaccine and a lot of 16-year-old kids, 20-year-old people, people in, in otherwise good health, and then a week later, two, two weeks later, they just die. Um, and almost every single one of these is, is linked with the, uh, either the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine. Um, so now, now you can take this down now. Um, but to go and to... I, I have it set to auto-scroll right now. Oh, okay. It hasn't even scrolled past, like, 2% of the screen. No, and the, and the frightening thing about this, because, yeah. like, you could say there's issues with the VAERS data, um, and you, you would have to parse through it a little bit, but what, it, like, the, it's estimated that the reporting rate is like one or three percent, maybe it's massively underreported. So, yeah. So here's the thing that bothers me. This system was set up by CDC and FDA. So it was jointly operated by the two agencies who roll out vaccines. OK, and they try to discredit their own system. If they know there's a problem, there was a study done by Harvard, like you said, that showed it was only 1% of all adverse events are being reported. So if they know that there's an issue with their system, why have they not fixed it? I believe, this is just my opinion, is that they did it on purpose to hide how horrible some of these vaccines are. So here's the thing. Theirs is supposed to be used post-FDA approval to monitor vaccine safety after approval. Why in the hell after are we monitoring three. safety for an experimental injection? The first time they had, uh, let's see, in 1976, 1977, we had swine flu outbreak. They rolled out a vaccine. 23 people were killed, had Guillain-Barre syndrome. They stopped 
the vaccine campaign? How many deaths should it take before they stop these injections? I'm sorry, I get really worked up about this, but yeah. um, no, they're killing us. They're killing people. One is too many. If you have a product that's supposed to keep people healthy and it kills them, that's too many, in my opinion. When we were having people die because of COVID, everyone was up in arms. Suddenly people are getting COVID and dying after these injections and it's like collateral damage. It's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not acceptable. These injections should have been stopped a long time ago. And I don't understand because I started monitoring VAERS in January of 2021 when they rolled out these. And I, and I have screenshots from when it started, 90s, 90s, how many deaths, hundreds, and it just kept growing and growing. And the number of adverse events reporting, it's so disturbing. It is so and they're, utterly disturbing. they're supposed disturbing. to investigate it. That's the other side yes. of it. They're supposed, anytime there's a fatality, there's supposed to be investigations. Now, when you talk to the people in charge of doing that, they say there's too many, they can't investigate them all. And exactly. there's no obligation if they do an investigation to figure out whether it was caused by the vaccine or some underlying illness, even if they can actually deduce that, there's no obligation for them to tell anyone about that. So what's in, what's in VAERS, that's the end of the public's ability to know what happened to that person. If they conclude that yes, 50% of it's right and, and not all of it's right. I mean, I've scrolled through VAERS and I've seen Mickey Mouse stories. Look, the thing is, I mean, that's a felony. Why would people do that? They yes. did it. <laughs> But it's in there, right? Well, and again, and um, yeah, that's true. But the point is, it's there, and it's being dismissed. Yeah, how you, well, you can't just write it off. Us, they're not 1%. telling us the results so that they can say mm -hmm. that oh, we don't know. It's still only one percent. Look, there was a study done by a group where they looked at look cause you know, we want to say cause and effect, right? So is it causally related? And this study showed statistically it's causally related because these adverse events are being reported within 24 to 48 hours of an injection. That is temporally related to the injection. It is 100% related to that injection. So, you know, they want to gaslight people. I learned so much about gaslighting in the past two years. <laughs> like every time they want to tell people they're safe. I'm like, where is your data to show it's safe? Where are the safety studies? Look, we know, and that's another post that we did on Ethical Science Council is looking at the phases of clinical trials. We know it takes 12 to 15 years to roll out a truly safe vaccine, effective vaccine, okay? We know that the shortest time a vaccine rolled out was the mumps vaccine, took four years, okay? So how in the hell are you gonna roll out this? Like we have this, you know, my question in our, our group, we question this, why mRNA? Why did they do mRNA, not a traditional vaccine platform? Why not live attenuated? Why not an inactivated whole virus? So China did an inactivated whole virus vaccine. Why are we doing this, this new technology that's never been used? Now, mRNA has been used for cancer therapy for a long time. So we know a lot about mRNA injections from cancer therapy. We know that there's liver toxicity. We know that there's kidney damage. We know that repeated injections become less effective over time. So my, this is just my opinion, um, spitballing, but I think the whole reason that they used mRNA was because these companies have been trying to push mRNA for so long, they couldn't get it past FDA. They couldn't get it past. They couldn't show safe and effectiveness. So they use the EUA to push this through, to shove this through FDA. And now they say, oh, look, 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 it's safe now. We did it. It works. Isn't it great? So now we can use mRNA for everything because the, 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 um, 
the money used to test all this and go through all the clinical trials, billions and billions of dollars. Now they pushed it through. It saved them a whole lot of money. Um, and I know Apollo wanted me to mention this too, because look at the companies. Okay. Let's look at the companies that got these vaccine, these, I can't even call it a vaccine. I'm sorry. These injections. They're not, they're not vaccines. Uh, EUA, right. So let's look at Moderna. Let's just take Moderna for an example. Okay. Moderna was about to go bankrupt. Okay. They could not get a product to market at all the time that they had been operating. So all of a sudden, their supposed mRNA shot gets EUA approved. So I'm actually no. I'm gonna I want to interject because I want to I want to put a few things up on screen to illustrate exactly what you're talking about. Can you uh, start with cut one, Mr. Producer, uh, A1? So I want everyone to pay attention to the dates here. Dates are very important here in the next uh, several images I'm going to show you. So this is an article, Biopharma Dive, uh, bank. It's talking about bankrupt biotech companies basically uh biopharma companies uh go to image two so this is november 19th 2019 so this one mentions bind therapeutics uh no idea that they would crash soon uh it was founded by top mit and harvard researchers and there's all this buzz yada yada and oh look at this uh represented the next advance in cancer therapies uh they came undone uh and it states uh, uh, basically a lack of clinical testing. Go to the next image. So weighed down with legal political threats. Biotech vastly outperformed the broader stock market um, going down. The tides have turned. A leading biotech index has fallen more than 15% since summer of last year. S&P 500 ticked up 13% at the same time uh, frame. Uh, and so now if, here's where it's going to get really specific right here. Uh, you're, they're talking about $8.7 billion in net capital outflows this year. Go to the next image. No, oh, you take down the other one. Thank you. Um, so now, here we go. The weight of thousands of lawsuits related to the op opioid uh -huh. marketing has already so. taken down Purdue Pharma and several other uh, companies. The legal uncertainty has made these companies per uh, perceivable as uninvestable. Uh, many of them are highly leveraged and face issues in generating cash going forward. Go to the next image. Here we go. Drug companies, both young and old, derive value from ideas, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Last year, companies like Moderna, Therapeutics, Rubius went public despite lacking profits and significant clinical data. Uh, investor attitudes appear to have shifted. Their stock tanked. Uh, shares in Moderna are 30% off their 52-week high in May. Next image, please. Bind's former CEO says investors have lost their appetite for companies going public without preclinical data. This sounds like Moderna. Go to the next image. Now here we go. Let's look at this. <laughs> former GSK vaccine head Slui to lead federal warp speed project. So now we're in May 14th of 2020. So we just went from, you know, that was end of 2019. And it's talking about how, you know, literally Moderna uh, and all these other biotech companies who don't have clinical data, you know, reference to the mRNA stuff. Uh, now this guy, GSK vaccine head, is going to lead Project Warp Speed. This is May 14th, 2020. Next image. Here we go. Operation Warp Speed aims to deliver the coronavirus vaccine. Uh, if you go halfway down now into this image... Uh, it 
list GlaxoSmithKline vaccine had Monsefsalui to lead the project. And uh, halfway down in the middle of this uh, second paragraph, it lists already in the race to create a COVID-19 vaccine programs from Pfizer, Johnson Johnson, Sanofi, AstraZeneca, and Moderna, where Salui now serves as a board member, have generated significant interest. Next image, please. Oh, look at this. Now what date are we at? December 18th, right? December 18th, 2020. FDA takes additional action, and so now they are authorizing the Moderna vaccine for COVID-19. So we're now at December 18th, right? 2020. Next image. Oh, look at this. January 12th. Warp Speed Chief resigns at Biden's team. Huh, that's crazy. So he was on the board for Moderna, went into Operation Warp Speed, got the Moderna shot approved, and then he steps down. You take that down. Are you, are mean, you kidding me? This is this. this they've, they've been killing people for this. Follow the money. Look, that's what I told people. Follow the money. Okay. So that's what we had that conversation. I said, look up the guy. I'm I'm not making it up. I mean, he worked for Moderna, and he said, yes, I'll run Operations Warp Speed. We got this. Funny how his is what his company is one that's chosen to get EUA approved without showing safety or efficacy. And I actually told my coworker because they said, oh, that the efficacy is 95%. And I laughed because I actually told the steady epidemiology and epidemiologists in passing in the hallway that these injections were not going to prevent infection. I knew that even before they rolled out. And she laughed and she was like, why do you say that? Um, gee, I've worked in vaccine development and testing for 12 years. I started, I mean, I, I, I started doing DNA vaccines. Like I know about this stuff. So um, yeah, he steps up to run the project. His company gets approved. Now he just sits back and collects his checks. I mean, let's look at Pfizer, okay? Pfizer, Scott Gottlieb, head of, former commissioner of FDA. He was commissioner of FDA from 2017 to 2019. Guess where Scott Gottlieb landed when he resigned from FDA? He's on the board of Pfizer. So now Pfizer, so now Pfizer's vaccine gets FDA approval, you know, and now this guy sits back. Don't forget their pills. They got the pills too. Don't they have the Pfizer pills that that save your life? Pfizer mectin, yes. Pfizer mectin. Yeah, so Pfizer was actually, Pfizer was approved like a week or two before the Moderna was. So they, so they basically know, so he knows the process. He knows so how to push it through, you know, um, it's just, it's just corporate capture, you know, like corporate capture. They've bought FDA, they've bought CDC, um, you know, the relationships have been there for years. And, you know, this is, I, I've worked in this field. Okay. I know about these alphabet agencies. This is part of where we get our grant funding. This is a lot of why scientists won't come forward because they know that they're going to lose their lab and their funding and their livelihoods. They don't say anything about what's going on. And let's talk about, you brought up the opioid crisis. Look at the top 10 companies that were hit by millions of dollars in lawsuits for the the opioid crisis. Pfizer is one of the top 10. Coincidence? This is, in my opinion, a big government bailout of big pharma. This is the biggest government bailout in the history of bailouts. Using taxpayer money. Using taxpayer money on my shoulders and on your shoulders. Yeah, and then, and I know we're we're a couple minutes over, but 
you take all that evil and just the same kind of corruption that we've seen from big pharma, from you know, big agro, whatever, the exact same nonsense that we see through the FDA, CDC, it's like, this is decades now. Same, same exact story. And then you have what they've done to the kids. And now you have all these people that are dying. As a result of, correct me if I'm wrong, they knew that these mRNA shots were going to do this to people. They knew 100% what was going to happen. They knew it wasn't going to be effective. Well, here's what I said, and this is one other thing that got me in trouble on LinkedIn, because I said, now, if we know the spike protein is causing the pathology of the disease, the spike protein is causing the blood clotting and the issues with the arteries and the heart issues, and why on God's green earth would you use it as an antigen in a so-called vaccine? Wouldn't it cause the same problems? I mean, to me, two plus two is four. Like, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then why, this is why people like me, virologists who work in this field, when when they said they were going to make a vaccine, I laughed because we know what the challenges are making a coronavirus vaccine. They've tried since 2002 when SARS-CoV-1 came out. They've been trying to get a vaccine for the original SARS. It didn't work. It hasn't worked. None of the platforms they tried worked. Animals in the tests died. So they couldn't ever get it past phase one of clinical trials. So how in the world now you're telling me in six months, oh, we have this miracle vaccine? It, no, it doesn't sit right. And it, it, it's, I just, speechless. I'm just speechless. Well, and, and, you, and you have the expertise to be able to say that it doesn't sit right. It, it, listen, we can say it, it, it doesn't feel right and we don't know. I mean, we, we're not epidemiologists, but when someone like you steps forward and says, hey, just this isn't right. I've, I've worked on vaccine development. I've worked in these labs. None of this makes sense. This can't possibly be what they're saying it is. Um, it's a real shame that more people didn't listen to you earlier on. I think you, we, a lot of lives would have been saved and a lot of liberties would have been saved as well. Jennifer, we're, we're out of time, but I want to thank you so much for stopping by. And we'd love to have you on again um, to talk more about this because the left is trying Democrats are trying to basically memory hole all of this, um, and we need to make sure that they don't. So I'll give you the final well, word before we let you go. Yeah, I mean, I would love to talk more about what's going on here in communist Hawaii and the, and the lack of freedom and liberty here. Um, our governor just pushed the mass mandate to indefinite um, for the state of Hawaii. So, you know, we, we need to still fight for freedom here. But yeah, I mean, we need accountability. There has to be accountability for this because if these people are not held accountable, then these kind of things are going to repeat themselves. So these officials need to be held accountable in some way. They do. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for stopping by again. We'd love to have you on again. Thank you so much for yeah, telling your story. Yeah, we definitely will, and, and I'll, I'm going uh, to give you a call after. I just want to thank you, and I have a couple questions for you. Um, but thank you uh, thank you so much for, for coming on today and for sharing the wealth of information that we didn't really get to get to broach uh, in such a short time. But tell everyone real quick before you go again where they can find you. Okay, yes, thank you. So um, just follow us on Ethical Science Council. We're at hashtag take science back. Um, we have Twitter, Instagram, Telegram, Facebook. Um, so follow us, like us and follow us, uh, share, please share the information. Um, I also actually wrote a book. Uh, my book is with the editor. It's going to be called Pandemic in Paradise, an insider view on COVID corruption here in Hawaii. So look for that to come out in the fall. Awesome. Exciting. Well, thank, thank you, for, Dr. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much.
Thanks, guys. Before we go, got to remind everyone this podcast is also sponsored by our partner, Enerforce, E-N-R-F-O-R-C-E. Enerforce is giving you a chance to win a 2021 Ford F-450 with a gooseneck trailer, Can-Am Maverick, and $20,000 in cold hard cash. Conservative Daily listeners will get 1,000 bonus entries on any purchase made by using promo code CD21 when you visit their site at enerforce.com. That's E-N-R-F-O-R-C-E.com. So head on over there, buy some gear, support the January 6th prisoners by picking up one of the free Our People shirts that's over there, and enter in for your chance to win big. Full disclosure, no purchase or payment of any kind is necessary to enter a win, and making a purchase or payment will not improve your chances of winning. We are over time, Greg, but I, I have to tell you, I'm getting some disturbing news out of Chicago. And you know me, I, I I never got to live in Chicago, but I've always been very interested in Chicago politics. Is where Democrat corruption kind of be, it began in many ways. There's nothing so that's we're getting a, not like terrible no, coming out of Chicago. No, well, this is either going to be terrible, or some people might say it's wonderful. Mr. Producer, if we if we put up my screen, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor, Mayor Beetlejuice, um, she is now being sued because she screamed <laughs> at a lawyer, "quote I have the biggest dick in Chicago." I want to make sure I get this full quote. She said, my dick is bigger than yours and the Italians. I have the biggest dick in Chicago. So we're going to Wait, keep is this real? monitoring. Yes, it's a real story. This is real? We're going to keep, we're going to keep monitoring this. My first impression, though, Apollo, is that's, that's an easy thing to say now that Michelle Obama lives in Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> but we're going to continue monitoring this story. Because I, I have a feeling there's more to this. We're, you heard uh, it here. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Producer, bro, we might have to have breaking news about Lori, Lori Lightfoot's <laughs> dick. Lori Lightfoot's talking. <laughs> oh, my goodness, no. Uh, so I just um, want to make sure we got that in before, before saw it on the <laughs> Thank channel. you. No, it's good It's good to end on a little bit of humor. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just have one thing to say real quick, and then I'm going to uh, – we'll wrap because we are over time. Um, and we can take this down. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, everyone just please understand. I want you to – I know there was a lot. She, she you know, speaks uh, w- with a lot of expertise, and if you're not familiar with some of the medical background, it, it can be a lot. But I'm just going to recap real quick things that we already knew, we already suspected. It was all a lie from the beginning. This entire thing was not about health. I'm, I'm not even going to go back through all the history – uh, of all the guests we've had on the show, all the information that Joe and Max and, and everyone has, has presented here, uh, all, and all the things that you can find all, all over the internet uh, and in the news everywhere. All of it was a lie. At this point, they are just killing us. And to a point, I can't really say anything else, but they're trying to kill us. At the very least, by neglect. They are actively, at this point, trying to kill everyone and we need to stop with the with the little politics all right because this is this has now gone on far too long and we all uh, we all have seen people who we have lost we all know people who have lost uh whether it was time spent with their family uh from the side effects of remdesivir god knows how many people uh you know might be injured from whatever the whatever in God's name they're injecting into people. And you mentioned the media. This entire thing, on top of Fauci and all those demons, this is because of the Mockingbird media. And frankly, this is some, 
uh, is it you intelligence people that I want to stare into your soul right now who have divided all of us, you know, I, I've seen over, and we all have, white versus black and men versus women and old versus young, and Republicans versus Democrats, and they're just these innocuous terms that they just contract and float, and they keep us constantly looking at each other, and none of this is coming from us. At some point, we have to ask ourselves, why, why, are, we still, why are we still acting like we're surprised by any of this? How, how are we still sitting here civilly? Yeah. Well, that's a question that we will have to answer on another show because we are out of time. If you like the podcast, got to subscribe. All the different places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, Audible, all audio podcasts. If you can, subscribe to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review so we can climb up in those rankings. All the different places you can watch us on video or just up on the screen. Um, we go live 12 noon Eastern time, 7 p.m. Eastern time, an hour later for the morning. So make sure you tune in for that. And if you need a reminder, text the word freedom to 89517. You'll get added to our text alert system. We'll give you a notification telling you what we're going to be talking about and then how, when, and where you can watch. That's it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And I'm Apollo. Just one word, just like Beyonce. And remember, the fight to take back the country is not over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stay up and fight together. <laughs>